listening to the Section 5 Podcast. Welcome to the Section 5 Podcast, where we're on the eve of the NBA trade deadline. Uh, We've already had one major trade that came through the wire last night between, you know, centered around the Atlanta Hawks and the Houston Rockets. Um, Today we have special guest, my guy, Adam Taylor from Celtics Blog. Uh, Adam, what's good, man? What's good, man? Thanks for having me on. It's been a hot minute since we last spoke. It is. It was over the, you know, in the very beginning of the season uh, before Jalen Brown signed the extension. We were we were kind of looking ahead to that. Um, And it's good to have you on. Uh, The last time I spoke with you, I know you were still running things on Celtic Center. But now you're just you're just celebrity now. You're just you're internationally known, locally respected. Um, So (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. It's good to have you over here um, on the Celtics. Uh, sorry, in the Section 5 podcast. Um, so, Adam, before we get into the sort of the NBA trade deadline, um, obviously the biggest news of the NBA season, regardless of what happens between now and then, is the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. Uh, we did a whole podcast on that. And as Celtics fans, those are our rivals. So we do have somewhat of a unique uh, viewpoint of Kobe Bryant. But I do want someone to get your take on sort of how you first heard the news and sort of how that's been playing playing overseas. Yeah, man, I mean, it's still fresh in my mind. I think it's fresh in everybody's mind, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it was late here, obviously, the time difference and stuff, me being based out in the UK. So I'd just been reading my daughter a bedtime story, and I, I leave my phone in, obviously, a different room so nothing interrupts me while I'm doing that. And then uh, I've came back into the room, picked up my phone to check my notifications, and uh, the first thing I see is like Kobe Bryant passes away in helicopter crash. And I'm like, nah, you know, there's been so many of these fake things that have happened over the years where celebrity X, Y, and Z is dead. And then 10 minutes later, it's a hoax. Mm-hmm. So I'm not believing it. I'm part of some group chats with some um, people that are quite well respected within the NBA media. They started posting it, so I'm like, okay, maybe there's some credit to this. And then, obviously, Woj dropped the what I took as the confirmation that this was legit news. Um, I was in shock, bro. I mean, I, my phone was blowing up with just everybody. I, I've got quite a few ties in LA from friends that have moved out there, and I go to visit out there and stuff. Got real close friends, so they're all hitting me up. Um, they're obviously distraught. Me, I grew up watching Kobe, man. I grew up watching Jordan, then Iverson, then Kobe. And I'm sure if you're around my age, you're exactly the same. Yep. So uh, that, I ain't going to lie, man. I mean, that hit me hard. It, like, it makes you start questioning your own mortality, right? I think, I think that's the key right there, man. It's just that this could happen to someone who, you know, just within our, I guess, use the word universe, it's just amazing that he's here today and gone tomorrow. And it's so ironic that you were reading to your daughter when the news broke, because, you know, I, I kind of mentioned that sort of my connection with Kobe Bryant was that, you know, he was a father 
sharing the game to his daughters, you know, the game of basketball and the game of life. And I think sort of my mind went through the same progressions as yours. First, this can't be true. Then I'm keep hearing it from other sources. And then Woj kind of cemented it with that tweet. Um, and it's just, you know, regardless of, you know, I, I mentioned this, that whether you live in the United States or any of the seven continents on this planet, if you say the name Kobe, everyone knows who you're talking about. Um, and for him to just be taken away like that in that fashion, with his daughter, um, it's, it's certainly a tragedy. Um, and also where I'm like-minded with you is that the progression of the NBA for me went from Jordan to a, a split second when Iverson crossed them over. You thought it might've been Allen Iverson was next. Allen Iverson was the first picked in that draft in 1996, but it turned out to be Kobe Bryant that took the mantle from Michael and then seemingly pass it on along to LeBron. So quickly, where do you rank Kobe Bryant amongst the all-time greats? I have him as a guaranteed no-brainer top 10. Where do you see Kobe Bryant fitting, fitting into that discussion? So part of me, and this is the nostalgia factor playing in and then a little bit paying homage, I want to put him top five, but I just, I feel I'm doing the people that came before him a bit of a disservice mm-hmm. by doing that. So he's a no-brainer top 10. I'd have him sitting around 7, 4, 8 full-time. I, I agree. Um, you know, I think, I think each generation has the benefit of the generation that came before them. So Kyrie Irving or Stephen Curry has the benefit of 70 years of the evolution of basketball in the NBA. Um, and I do have, you know, Michael Jordan as number one. And I think you have an argument anywhere for Kobe Bryant from two to 10, depending on how you look at it. Um, some of it's sentimental. Some of it's just based on sheer accomplishments. Some of it's based on his legendary work ethic. But I think the majority of, this, of us are in agreement that Kobe Bryant's a top 10 player all time in the NBA. Um, and just to see his second act, maybe his third act, because he went from number eight to number 24 and then in retirement. But just to see that cut tragically short, um is is heartbreaking but also you see the impact that he left that he left on this world um and as a father and i know you're a father with daughters you know it it does make you question your own mortality so you got to live life to the fullest um yeah no day is promised bro yeah it's not it's not and and speaking of kobe bryant and kind of transitioning to a different topic um as part of the whole week of the aftermath of Kobe Bryant passing, Zach Lowe was on the jump with Rachel Nichols. And he mentioned that one time he got a text from Kobe that just says, hey, it's Kobe. And he's like, no way this is Kobe. He had to call around and confirm that. But Kobe was basically paying him homage and showing him some respect of how he was covering the game. Zach Lowe was sort of the originator of putting those video clips within, the, within his articles to sort of illustrate you know the points that he was making about the x's and o's and the nuances of the game and i've noticed that you sort of been fitting into that mold as well particularly when you're analyzing a guy like a, uh gordon hayward um you're really sort of getting into the weeds and using those tools to analyze the game and that's a hard proposition on twitter where there's so much instant gratification and everyone just wants to be able to get bragging rights and win the day and troll and then now you're leading into the NBA trade deadline. And it almost as, is as if the NBA is, you know, is more focused on the drama, the trolling, the player movement, 
and you're someone who's really trying to get to the essence of the game. So I just wanted to know sort of, given that is the eve of the trade deadline, sort of what's your take on the media's role in covering basketball? Is it just strictly about the entertainment or do you really feel that there's a place for the nuance and the X's and O's of the game? I mean, that's a great question, dude. I mean, the best way I can really word it, and this is how I've kind of compartmentalized it myself, mm-hmm. is the media has to focus on what draws your attention. So it's going to be the drama and the highlight dunks, the 30 to 50 point night game, 30 to 50 points a night player, because that's what's going to get the casual fans' attention, the guys that watch basketball when football's not around or baseball's not on. And it's their filler sport. And that's fine. Like, um, we've all got sports that we kind of turn on if there's nothing else on TV. And that's how that's the majority of basketball fans, the young guys that are slowly getting into the game, the older guys that have become dis- disillusioned with the transition into this modern era, pace and space, mm-hmm. which to me I find a little bit tougher to watch than I did when it was a, a more physical brand of basketball. I'm not going to lie. Mm. Um, so I feel like that's going to be a key aspect from the media in keeping people engaged, keeping content moving and drawing new eyes onto the sport. But I do believe that it's very important to keep certain sections of the online basketball stratosphere to be more focused on, you know, real basketball nuances, why a player does something instead of how he does it how he developed this because he was struggling for a year going left or because when he backs down a guy, mm-hmm. he's, get, he's getting bullied because he doesn't have the strength. Right. So I feel like there is there's a place for both, but unfortunately in the era, the era that we live in with the Instagrams and the, the, the stories and the highlights, the media has to go where the interest is. And unfortunately for true basketball heads, that's going to be a guy like Evan Turner that all of a sudden just does a tomahawk on some dude and now he's a star for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, there, 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 is, there is a place for it. And I, you know, I've seen some of the response to some of the things that you've written, uh, maybe most famously by, by Miss Robin Hayward herself. Um, she didn't credit you by name, but she did reference your story. In the way she hit me on DMs though. That up, she slid Robin Hayward slid in your DMs. This not like crazy. that, not like that, but just to say, like, yo, yeah, it, no. was a, it was a well written, blah, blah, blah. I had a, nah, had it, a brief, it, yeah, it, it was, it was. And I think that, you know, there's such a place for that in, in media coverage, particularly when you're, when you're analyzing these trades. You know, you have all these rumors getting thrown out there. And I, and I, uh, I, I tweeted at Keith Smith yesterday just to ask him at what point do the trade discussions into the the famous quote-unquote engaging stage like the Celtics have engaged the Lakers with Anthony Davis and I kind of wanted to know what was the difference between engaging versus normal conversation and he said oh well you know there's really no difference but when you're talking about trades and how these teams are approaching that they're looking at these analytics and these sort of nuances and you know the stats that you're referring to so it it helps the, the, the viewer, it helps the fan to understand that so they can also have a better sense of what the expectations in a trade should be, which is why so many people like yourself weren't in favor of a Drummond trade or a Clint Capella trade because the advanced analytics compared to a Daniel Tice didn't necessarily justify what it would have taken to get that player, right? Um, 
and, and just today, this morning, you wrote a nice article that you posted about Grant Williams. Um, and I did read that article and it got me to thinking that Grant Williams may actually be someone that teams are calling about and asking about when the Celtics are inquiring about their own players. Um, so in that sense, I wanted to get a breakdown of view of the Celtics roster. Where do you put the, where do you, there's three tiers of players that I want to take a look at. There's the untouchables. There's the, okay, we'll listen. And there's the, we're shopping that player. So let's kind of get into the untouchables. Who, who would we consider the untouchables on the team? I'm going to offend a few people here because I'm going to miss out somebody that a lot of people will consider untouchable. Uh-oh. Um, but that's it's just my opinion yep. based on play this year alone if we're doing it, who's available. So Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Uh, I'd even go as far as saying maybe Daniel Tice because of his play this year should be considered untouchable until the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Kemba Walker's untouchable. And those are my untouchables. So you have Tatum, Brown, Tice, and Kemba. Oh, and Hayward, sorry. Hayward as well. That's my fifth. And is that your final untouchable? That's it. That's it, yeah. So noticeably missing from this is the the leader of the Celtics cult of weird Celtics Twitter. You don't have Marcus Smart as an untouchable. I do not. I do not. I think he's one of the most valuable players on the team. But for that reason, I don't think he should be considered untouchable. Hmm. I mean, and obviously, your your ability to be touched, for, for lack of better words, is what you're bringing back in return. I mean, exactly. literally, yeah. most players are not technically untouchable. Like, you know, if, if someone's offering you a top five player in the NBA, almost anyone is available. But you don't have Marcus Smart in the Untouchables, and I think that I means you can't you can't win a title without a guy like that, and particularly when it's a guy who was drafted by you and developed by you and has really turned into a good player, a good shooter, a good playmaker. I'm somewhat surprised to have you listing Marcus Smart as not on the Untouchables. So I'm guessing you'll list Marcus Smart as a will listen. He's a will listen, and he's going to be the will listen, but we're not really going to pay much attention mm-hmm. unless you blow us away. Right. But the reason I don't have him as an, as an untouchable at the moment is, one, I feel like his tendency to jack up shots, and I said this about a week ago on the Celtics blog podcast, feels very Marcus Morris-esque, and it used to drive me insane then, so mm-hmm. it really gets to me now. Um I feel like when he's jacking up most, like large quantities of shots, he's really disrupting the flow of the offense. He's better when he's playing within the offense, finding his spots, mm-hmm. but really focusing on getting back and defending. Mm-hmm. So, and then you always look at the contract, right? Danny Ainge gave Marcus Smart that contract before he developed into a scorer. Mm-hmm. Because it was a tradable contract, it made him a really good player and really good contract for salary matching. If there was ever a deal that came up mm-hmm. with the emergence of guy of somebody like Grant Williams, that seems to me to be Marcus smart, but in a bigger body mm-hmm. and with a little bit more of a basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the emergence of the duo of Grant Williams and semi Ojale coming off the bench together in the way they're locking down teams for the last two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't see there'd be a drop off in terms of emotional leadership. He's the Celtics version of Draymond Green. Yeah. But at the same time, he's also the guy that's going to be able to match a contract that's going to net you 
somebody that puts you over the top in that contention? Hmm. I would, I, and I think, I think those are great points. I would consider Marcus Smart, you know, damn near untouchable because the value that he brings to our team may not be able to be matched by what you're giving us in return. But for the same reason about his contract situation, and I've mentioned this a lot on the Section 5 podcast, is that in a podcast that Marcus Smart did with Zach Lowe, if I'm not mistaken, he mentioned that he is not taking a discount on his next deal. And that leads me to Gordon Hayward, where Gordon Hayward can opt out at the end of the season. And given what he signed up for when he, when he signed with Boston, you know, he, he, this was before, um, you know, Jason Tatum emerged and, and Jalen Brown emerged um, and, and, you know, the whole Kyrie situation and getting Kemba Walker. I mean, Gordon Hayward would thought he was going to be playing with Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford and be the number one option on offense. And now he's sort of been relegated to the number four option. And I wonder if he goes the route of Al Horford and, you know, the Celtics are not willing to extend themselves as far as another team. And he walks on you. And that, in that sense, that's the only reason why I would not consider Gordon untouchable. I think what he brings to the team, he's probably the best playmaker on the team, particularly when he's aggressive He's the best. He's the best one at getting into the paint and making plays for others. Um, but the Celtics do have a moment of truth coming this offseason because Jason Tatum's due for an extension. Marcus Smart is due for an ex, you know a new contract down the line, and we don't know what Gordon here was going to be asking for this offseason. So if some team was willing, and again, what are they going to give you? I don't know. But if a team was willing to to help us shore up our weaknesses, I'd listen on Gordon Hayward. Um, I'm assuming that the majority of the rest of the team is, you know, will listen. Who do you think the Celtics could be shopping? I think Ennis Cantor's a possibility to be shopped. And I like what Cantor's done this year. So it's not anything negative towards him. I think he's actually been surprisingly reliable, um, which has been pleasing. However, I don't see him opting into a 5 million player option in, in the summer, simply because of the way he's played. He can, easily go out and double that per year if he continues this way. So maybe making a move to get some a cost-controlled veteran for this year and next mm-hmm. would entice the Celtics to move on from him, especially if they feel like Robert Williams, once he's healthy, will actually be able to stay healthy. Yeah, That'll be a big deciding factor there. Uh, Romeo Langford is another guy. I'm a big Romeo guy. I think that he's a fantastic young player. I've watched him in the G League a little bit. I like what I've seen from him when he's played in the NBA. The only reason I'd see any reason to move him other than just a filler piece or a young pick over a young guy to go to a team that wants to rebuild is simply because his route to the starting lineup or to a decent rotation here right. is just blocked, dude. He ain't getting nowhere near that rotation for a long time. And not being able to get your reps in is going to be exactly what stops you from developing we've seen it with Jalen and Jason yep. they had high reps they met they were allowed to play through their mistakes and now they're at where they're at yeah I think I think Romeo was a product of one I think the Celtics were targeting Tyler Harrow who was drafted the pick before them by Miami and then two you know Romeo had a strong pedigree coming out of high school you know in mock drafts you know before that last um NCAA season you know he was a consensus top five pick 
Um, and also he became Gordon Hayward insurance in case, or, or Jalen, in a sense, Jalen Brown insurance in case they couldn't resign Jalen Brown or in case Gordon Hayward didn't recover, you know, fully and healthy from it, from that ankle injury. Um, I think Romeo Langford was sort of a good adjustment on the fly when the Celtics didn't get the guy they wanted. And for those reasons you just stated, I do think that they'd be shopping him with, you know, with potentially their own pick or Milwaukee Bucks pick to try to get some veteran help. I think if a team did ask about Grant Williams, Grant Williams looks like he could be, like you said, a bigger version of Marcus Smart. He's such, he has such a great attitude. I, I love the nickname, the geek freak. Um, so I think, you know, the Celtics would not be inclined to move Grant Williams, but they could be shopping Romeo Langford. Um, cool. and, and also, too. Yeah. And also maybe Carson Edwards. Um, Tremont Waters has been tearing it up in the, in the G League. Um, and it seems like they're trying to keep him a little secret and not even bring him up to the NBA so anyone gets their eyes on him. Um, Carson Edwards, Romeo Langford, Enos Kenter, you know, draft picks. Those, I think those could be guys that the Celtics are shopping. Yeah, Poirier as well. Poirier has been um, – I was very excited about him once they signed him. Uh, he's been more than disappointing. You know, I think – I don't know if they're shopping Poirier. I think they might have him on a Daniel Tice sort of trajectory where next season – you know, they found the gym overseas because they had limited cap flexibility to, to bring in guys, you know, who are already in the NBA. They bring them from overseas. You know, this is kind of a red shirt year for him. And maybe he, I mean, he's, he's seven, he's a legit seven footer. Um, yeah, he's got good lateral movement as well. He just looks a step slow in rotation. In fact, yeah, he does look a step slow in rotations. He's got hops though. I'll give him that. He, he can get up. So um, are you, Adam, are you content with the big man situation as is? Because that's like sort of the major point of contention between Celtics fans on Twitter. I'm not worried about the big man rotation as long as we get Robert Williams back and healthy mm -hmm. at some stage so he gets some minutes under his belt before the playoffs. Mm -hmm. big, the big man issue doesn't worry me. The shooting from the bench is my concern. Yeah, I think I, 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 I go back and forth because I think the strength of our defense is always going to be our defensive play on the perimeter. It's going to be the ball pressure. It's going to be the deflections. It's going to be the off-the-ball defense, you know, that Jaden, Jason Tatum has become a specialist in. And that allows the big men to pretty much just do their job, right? You know, not have to sort of be that defensive stopper and clog the middle because the guys up front are the ones who are sort of flying around and putting on that ball pressure. Um, and I think it's going to be situational play and situational defense that really determines, you know, the Celtics success in the playoffs. And Daniel Tice has shown me that. I, I like what I'm seeing out of Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice has been wildly good. Like he's so underrated this year. He's been, he should be in the MIP conversation as an outlier, definitely not one of the main candidates, but he should definitely be in that conversation. His offensive game, the way he's running the pick and roll, um, the pick and pops, his ceiling goes great on both ends of the floor. He's sealing his man with some real venom. He's been one of the standout players on this team in terms of consistency. Hmm. I don't see a need to work. Personally, for me, the big man issue is, as you say, the, the perimeter defense sets the tone. And then your big is there to just contest shots and clean up off the glass. That's fine. And when you've got guys like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, both averaging seven rebounds a game, mm -hmm. I think Gordon's a shade over five or a shade under six. You've got 
other rebounders available that are very athletic and very good at staying in front of their man that can help in the in the rebounding. And the Celtics have had to rebound by committee for what ten well, years now, <laughs> like forever, dude. Kevin Garnett, pretty much. So that doesn't worry me. What worries me is the opposite end of the floor. And the reason I'm against trading for a big man is because you'd have to move someone like Hayward in order to get a big man back that was of a quality to be deemed an upgrade at this point. And for me, when you were talking about Hayward and you were talking about his contracts and that's a negative, my outlook on this, and someone said this to me, this isn't something that I came up with. Um, I think it was actually Keith Smith that I had this discussion with. Gordon Hayward joined the Celtics to compete for a championship, right? Yeah. What team in the summer is going to have cap space to be a contender? There isn't one. I don't believe there's one, right? But what you've seen from Memphis this season, Gordon Hayward could take a team like Memphis to the next level. Not saying that they'd be, you know, guaranteed contender, but I think I think possibly that discussion could be changing with Memphis and even with Atlanta getting Clint Capella, having Trey Young, having John Collins. Both of those teams could really use a guy like Gordon Hayward, a wing and also a veteran player. Even though I don't know what the best if that'd be the best fit because you know that is maybe two different trajectories. But a week ago, two weeks ago. I would have been with you 100% about, I don't see either one of those teams being a player away and offering a guy like Gordon Hayward the, mat, the max. But I think it's something to watch over the next, the next two or three months. Um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, well, say we, I'm not part of the team. The Celtics have his bird rights as well, which means that he's going to earn more by staying than going. Yeah. Uh, his family's settled in Boston. He's got some young kids. I'm assuming he doesn't want to have to uproot them. Yeah. If he wants a final payday, and Boston don't try and undercut the the offer, which is where the real the real talking points start sticking is not what he asked for, but what Boston because Boston will be the guys to reach out with that offer first. Yes, and that's what happened with Al, right? Everybody was under the assumption Al was going to opt out, take a bit of a hometown cut, you know what I mean? Take a bit of a pay cut to mm-hmm. get longevity. Mm-hmm. If that happens with Gordon Hayward and he chooses to leave, that's when there's an issue which is why I'm so big on Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings at the moment. Mm-hmm. Jay King released an article on The Athletic. Uh, I try and read everything Jay King and Jared Wise put out. They're both really good, um, intelligent basketball guys. Yep. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent this year. Mm-hmm. If Gordon decides he's opting out or if you get an inclination that he's going to leave at the end of his contract the year after... You can re-up on Bogdan Bogdanovich because for trading for him, you acquire acquire his bird rights as well. And then that gives you a year to, or a few months to move Gordon Hayward for some assets in return. Or if he decides to opt out now, you've got a ready-made replacement that's a few years younger that is a lights-out scorer. Yeah, and if there's one thing that Danny Ainge is good at, he always has a hell of a plan B. He's able to adjust on the fly, as we've seen from, you know, the Romeo Langford pick or, you know, losing the Kyrie and, and getting Kimba Walker or, you know, even with Al and Mook Morris and all those players that we lost, knowing that we had like a Daniel Tyson in the wings. So that is something to watch. But I do have confidence that that would be the type of plan B that Danny Ainge would, would quickly be able to to adjust to um, kind of switching gears a little bit. 
Milwaukee Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks are clearly at the head of the pack in the East. And then you have this log jam between two and six with Toronto, Boston, Miami, which I think is the surprise team in the East, the Pacers, who now have Victor Oladipo back, and the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Which one of those teams between two and six do you think is the most in most need of making a move before the deadline? If you'd asked me this yesterday, before I listened to the Zach Lowe podcast, mm-hmm. um, I probably would have said the Pacers or the Raptors probably would have lent more towards the Raptors due to the fact that they're also a surprise package and nobody expected them to be this good after Kawhi left. Yeah, Adam, uh, my other guy, Adam from Section 5 podcast, we, uh, we had a, you know the preview and he picked Toronto to not make the playoffs. And here they are, right? And at and Adams is you know as as good as they come with um you know his his insight on the NBA, um and he he picked them to not make the playoffs. So I think we were all kind of surprised about by Toronto sort of hanging in there even without Siakam for a long stretch. Yeah, I mean most of their key contributors have missed large quantities of the season. It's been a it's been interesting to watch. I like Nick Nurse as a coach. I think he's done a great job. After listening to the Zach Lowe podcaster, he convinced me in about a five-minute spell of his podcast, the Miami Heat really need a stretch big. Uh, that's going to elevate them to a whole different level. A stretch four, somebody like, uh, I think Zach Lowe actually mentioned by name Gallinari. Somebody like that would really utilize guys like um, Kendrick Nunn, Jimmy Butler. It would open the lanes up for them far more, and they'd become much more dangerous in the half court sets than what they are at the moment. So Miami in my eyes now because of that. And then when I've gone and looked at the numbers, looked at some shot charts and stuff, it does make sense. Miami need a stretch big and that's probably the team that if they can get one, then they're going to really be a tough team to play against during the playoffs when everything slows down. Yeah, and I and I was actually wrong about Miami during the same podcast as when, you know, we were talking about the East and who would come out I didn't think the Jimmy Butler effect was really going to elevate them from, you know, a fringe eighth seed to a contender. And Jimmy Butler is a hell of a player. But I think what I underestimated was the emergence of Bam Adebayo, um, who who was snubbed from Team USA. Um, And I think you're right. Miami is kind of one. I mean, all of these teams are are the right piece away from really, you know, separating themselves from that two to six log jam. I think that the team, the team that has to make a move is the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, you had the process, which was four years of, of, of just extreme losing, extreme tanking. And really all this got you was a trip to the semifinals. And they need to win now. They made a lot of win now moves when they signed Al Horford to that massive contract. They re-signed Tobias Harris to a massive contract. And they're stuck in the mud as a sixth seed right now. And their road record is horrible. And things haven't been looking good in the last 24 hours. You've had Joel Embiid speaking out in the media. You've had Al Horford speaking out in the media. And something needs to give with that team. And I think it's something major. I don't think it's something around the fringes because I don't see the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid pairing working out. And yet I don't see how you can move, move Tobias Harris in that contract. You may have some chance moving on Al Horford. To, to a contender. Um, but Philadelphia needs to make some moves. Outside of their starting five, you can only name so few players on that team. I mean, we're all sort of NBA veterans here, right? But, but 
outside of the starting five, they don't have a ton of impact players. Something needs to give. They're having problems in that locker room. And if you learned anything from last year's Celtics, you can't carry that on beyond the trade deadline because it could just have, you know, just reverberate through your locker room and through your organization. Um, I would have said the Celtics are the team that need to make a move because of all those teams between two and six, you know, we're starving for a championship and there's no golden state in your way. There's no LeBron James in your way in the East. I mean, the bucks have a stranglehold, but, but I don't think they're actually scaring anyone in the East, even though they clearly lead the pack. Um, but the Celtics are in a good place right now. And I don't think Danny Ainge is going to do anything to sort of mess with a good thing. You know, if he can find something on the fringes or a veteran or something to add to what they already have, great. But I don't think he's going to mess around what we have right now because the team has been fun to watch. I mean, when you talk about Philly, I'm more than happy if they're struggling. Um, <laughs> more for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. The, the question that got put to me earlier, somebody uh, direct messaged me, just a guy on Twitter, basically saying are you buying into this narrative that maybe it was Horford that was the problem all along in I don't boston. yeah in boston right last year because he's gone to philly and now it's the same issues over in philly hmm. i don't buy into that narrative i think that al Horford's a consummate professional he elevates you more than he hinders you what i do think is that he's gone into a situation where similar to what boston was last year there's all these big names and great basketball players but as as pieces on a chessboard they just don't fit dude yeah and, and that's it, the problem right and it's ironic that you know his statement today was like you know we have some issues in this locker room we're going to keep that internal i'm like sounds a lot about like last season and i think that's a interesting point you bring up about was out of blame um i've been sort of on the record as saying you know how is it that ray allen got killed for leaving the Celtics when Danny Ainge tried to trade him. He left the Celtics to go to play with uh, LeBron James in the Heat. And Al sort of, sort of got, gets a pass in that sense. And I don't think Al is the problem, but I think even worse, Al was not part of the solution. You know, when Kyrie Irving came out last year and said, we need a 15 or 16-year veteran, I'm like, wait a minute, we got Al Horford in that locker room. And it seemed like everything happened under Al's watch. And although he was able to sort of move forward and be that consummate professional and do the right thing and make the right play, it didn't seem like he was able to steer that ship in the locker room. And that's sort of what he was brought to do in Philly. And he hasn't been able to do it there either. either. So I think, you know, of course he, he leads by example. But if your teammates aren't paying attention, I don't know how far that's going to get you. I mean, the Ray, the Ray Allen point as well. He left Boston with a ring, dude. And he, like, yeah, and he won a championship with that. Yeah, he leaves with a ring, gets killed. Al leaves with nada, goes to like the biggest division rival you could imagine. And everybody's just like, thanks, Al. I, I, I had such a problem with that. Um, and I was very much on the record like, this, this is some bullshit, man. Like, he left for Philly. And you guys are sitting here, you know, giving him a... a you know, a pat on the back because he was good old Al. I mean, Al was a great player. I've always considered him to be an elite, an elite glue guy. You know, he's the glue and he does it at an elite level and he does make his teammates around him better. But he just has this reputation for being, you know, such a strong presence in the locker room. And that hasn't been the case in two organizations that he's been to, the last two organizations that he's been to. And you have to wonder if he's looking over his shoulder 
at what's happening in Boston now, knowing that we had Kemba Walker in the fold and sort of leaving a good thing behind where he could have sort of cemented his legacy here. So it's a good, it's a good point you bring up. So after Al left, um, I done, I, I done an interview with, um, you know, her name's gone straight out of my head. His sister, the one that's oh, Anna Horford. Yeah. Anna Horford. Yeah. I done an interview with Anna. I heard that. I listened to that. Yep. Yeah. I feel terrible about forgetting her name now. Um, so she actually said, she's, in, like, she's uh, in England now. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, she's out here for a hot minute. She won't like it. She'll be gone soon. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> uh I can't wait to get out. But she actually said like, uh, I'll move there because he he's getting to that stage of his career where he needs to prioritize winning and competing for a championship. And that was the driving factor for him. Mm-hmm. And then he's gone there and the grass isn't always greener. You should, you saw the key pieces that Boston had. And in my eyes, I understand why you choose Philly. You've got, you've got Embiid, you've got Ben Simmons that when he's on his game, he's borderline unstoppable once he gets ahead of steam and he's rolling down on you. Mm-hmm. But you've gone to a team that's just lost J.J. Redick, which was their primary floor spacer. Lost Jimmy Butler. No, yeah, exactly. So there goes your grit and grind. And now you're being brought in to steer this ship full of a mismatch of guys. Tobias Harris, I, I think he's all right. I don't think he's great. If he was great, then why is he, you know, why is he struggling to cement a place on multiple teams in the league? I saw Tobias Harris um, about 18 months ago out in LA, I went to watch um, a Clippers, Wizard, Clippers Wizards game before he got traded. Mm-hmm. Um, he was all right. He weren't great. Like um, I sat there and I, I, I followed him, every, his every movement for almost a quarter because everybody was been telling me like, yo, if you ever see Tobias Harris, watch the way he runs the screen, watch the way his footwork moves when he's defending, watch how quick he gets out on the break. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not Tobias Harris I saw. I don't think he's as big a threat as what everybody makes him out to be. I think he's actually one of the more overrated names in the league. Yeah, I think I think you look at his box score at the end of the game, and he does, he, you know, he he does some things, but you don't see how he's just impacting the outcome of the game. You know, he's not jumping off the screen at you. Um, and I mean, in this day and age, when everything is measured against your contract, woo, when you look at the process, and you got three more years of Tobias, Tobias Harris and Al Horford at those numbers. You have a, a jo- Joel Embiid who, whose conditioning is questionable. And you have a, a Ben Simmons who, you know, literally can't and won't shoot the ball. You got to be concerned there in Philly. And that's all the reason why I think that, you know, they, they need to make a move. Um, it's it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, and I guess, I guess in that sense, do you, do you have any predictions? What, look into your crystal ball, Adam, and what, what do you see happening between now and the 3 p.m. Eastern time deadline tomorrow? Do you, do you see the Celtics making any moves? I've got a feeling they're going to make a small move to free up a roster spot, maybe two, depending on how much they like Tremont Waters at the uh, backup guard position. And then all like the third string guard, whether because obviously on a two-way come playoff time, he's ineligible. So if they feel like he's going to serve a purpose, Mm-hmm. they might try and free a roster spot up to convert his contract into a guaranteed NBA deal. Mm-hmm. I also think they're going to want to free up, free up an open roster spot for the buyout market. I know that apparently they're showing some interest in Evan Turner, mm-hmm. but Jamal Crawford's available on the buyout on the, as a free agent too. Mm-hmm. Personally, I want them to go and do something a little bit bigger, still on the fringes, but you know, just bringing someone with a little bit more... Look, Evan Turner won't get in minutes in Atlanta. So why is he going to get minutes in Boston? It's just a nostalgia thing. 
Yeah. If you're going to be nostalgic, go make a move for OT. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I think, the, not to cut you off, but I think that the point that you made about freeing up a roster spot is, is clutch. <laughs> that, that, that's important to this team about freeing up a roster spot for the buyout market, um, which, which is a little quiet now on that front. But we have like three or four guys in the G League. You have a guy like Taco Fall. You have guys at the end of the bench who aren't really getting any playing time. There might be some maneuvering. I, I agree with you. And then around the league, I'd expect to see maybe something happen with John Collins. Now they've acquired Clint Capella. Ooh, ooh don't, oh man, don't tell, don't tell Mark that. Mark, uh, Mark from the Section 5 podcast, he, he, he's a big Hawks fan. Um, and he, I think he's a big believer in John Collins. That that would be interesting if John Collins got moved because I think he's due to get paid this offseason. Yeah, and, and then acquiring Capella makes um Wedgie fit John Collins at this point. Mm. So I'd expect maybe they start looking to shop him. Mm-hmm. And then really I expect it to just be little moves here and there. I know that the D'Angelo Russell's one that keeps popping up. I think if you haven't heard nothing by one o'clock tomorrow, then maybe it's like some solid rumors that won't go away. Um, then maybe that's not happening, especially because I do understand. I mean, what was it? It was meant to be Andrew Wiggins for D'Lo, right? That that might have been the the basis, but I don't see why Golden State would would do that. Um, and, and I'm amazed at the 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 sort of trajectory of of D'Angelo Russell with a gigantic max contract and all these teams are coveting him like he's really going to be the difference in the the, for, the fortunes of their franchise i'm somewhat surprised by that because it seemed like even as early as last year he was somewhat an afterthought the first half of the season with the nets until Kyrus levert had that had that foot and ankle injury and then he sort of emerged and had a great second half and you know the lakers kind of gave up on him foolishly but I don't see how D'Angelo Russell is is garnering garnering all this sort of admiration from all these teams, the Knicks and the the T Wolves. I mean, the T Wolves think that that he's going to be able to keep Carl Anthony Towns around, and it's also been on the record that Devin Booker would love to play with team up with Carl Anthony Towns and um, and D'Angelo Russell. So that might be some foresight. From Minnesota as well, but the the D-Lo thing kind of always kind of been strange to me. So I think he's the guy that's going to elevate Cat. I think he'll be the guy that comes in and the way he runs the pick and roll and the way he's going to be able to get Cat when he's because um one thing I've been looking at for a lot lately is slip screens. Um, I'm really big on it at the moment. I like the way they're being utilized across the league. Yeah, we're working in a league at the moment where. Pick and roll defense is majority show defense. I don't know why, because it's one of the most risky types of defense. A guy like Cat, if he slips and you've got somebody like D'Angelo Russell that can hit, you know, like Fred the Needle, he's going to unlock Cat as a roller and as a, a pick and pop shooter because Cat's got range, right? Yeah, he does. And, and, and he's an interesting name because I think Danny Ainge makes two type of deals. He's either swinging for the fences in the AD type of situation or he's looking for, you know, uh, uh, he's going to TJ Maxx and he's finding, he's trying to find that thing on the rack where you're just like, how the hell did I find that? that? And that's like an Isaiah Thomas type of trade. Um, 
And Carl Anthony Towns will be interesting to monitor because clearly he's unhappy in Minnesota. He does he did just sign that extension, but he got snubbed from the All-Star game, and everyone was complaining about that. Everybody, their mother, their girlfriends, their sisters and brothers, everybody was complaining about getting snubbed off the All-Star game, getting snubbed from the Rising Star Challenge. It, it was ridiculous. But I think he sees that he's not getting the respect or the relevancy or the stardom or the popularity that a guy of his talent may deserve, and he may be looking elsewhere this offseason. I can see the Celtics pulling the trigger on a Danilo Gallinari or a Derrick Rose. Either of those would be, Danny's long time had admiration for, for Gallinari. And you mentioned, Adam, that maybe our biggest need is shooting off of the bench. And I just think that what's going to determine the Celtics' success this season is the ability to make open shots. It's that simple. If Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Kemba are clicking on all cylinders, they always get good looks. They're moving the ball. If they're shooting a high percentage from three and a high percentage from the free throw line, the Celtics could be extremely successful. And I'm not certain how confident I am in Brad Wanamaker coming off of the bench in clutch playoff situations. A Derrick Rose may really, you know, sometimes it's just, sometimes the cup is almost full and it's literally just a drop that's going to make it tip over. It's not like you need much. It's just a drop in the bucket. And I think a Derrick Rose could be the answer for something like that, and it might not cost the Celtics that much. Yeah, so I think Derrick Rose is an interesting proposition. Um, from, what, from what I've been told in terms of fan reaction from certain points within the fan base, that might not be a popular one. I'm not sure as why, but I've been told the optics might not be great. Because, um, his, because of questionable off-court off issues? I'm assuming so. No, the person that I had this discussion with never went into great detail with me. They just said that they don't envision it being viable. I'm gonna say uh, this is the fan base that that wanted us to keep Antonio Brown around. Yeah, I'm guessing so. Yeah, I mean, but it was also the fan base that was very, very quick and rightly so to jettison Jabari Bird. That 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 is true. That is true. Jabari Bird. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, that was um that was a weird few weeks. Um, I do think that a guy like Dino, uh, Gallinari would be fantastic. You, you do they do need shooting off the bench. If you can get shooting with size, then all of a sudden you've hit the jackpot. That's why um, Bailicha was another guy that's uh, big that can shoot from anywhere. Bertans is in that field as well. If I mean, I believe Dino Gallinari may be an expiring, but if Dan, if Danny Age could package a a Tice a Langford the Memphis pick, uh, uh, some combination of those, I can, in OKC was open to it. I could see them, I could see the Celtics pulling trigger on a Danilo Gallinari. And OKC might have some interest in a Romeo Wingford. I don't know who their emerging wing players are. And I, because I can't think of it off the top of my head, you know, he might be an interesting piece and they're looking for more picks and more assets. He might be an interesting piece with a, you know, a Shea Gilgis Alexander um, over there in Oklahoma City. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Danny Ainge pulled off that type of move. Uh, but besides that, I think it would be to sort of open up a roster spot for the, for the buyout market. Um, and the reason why Danny Ainge is so confident in this team, partly I think it's the emergence of Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown, in my opinion, has the highest ceiling of anyone on the team. 
I think Jason Tatum has the lowest floor. And I'm not into comparing or, or you know, Jason, who's better, who's this and that. I mean, it's a luxury to have them both. But I do feel like Jalen Brown, just with his ability to finish at the rim, his athleticism, his defense, even though right now Jason Tatum's a better overall defender, particularly off the ball, Jalen Brown has the highest ceiling of anyone on this basketball team. The last time you and I spoke, it was before Jalen signed his extension. Um, so what, what's your take on the progression of Jalen Brown, who I think was an all-star snub? What's your, think, what's your take on his progression and how he really could impact the outcome of this season? Yeah, so one of the big things for me through the summer, uh, if you've ever followed anything I do, was Jalen Brown's inability to go left. Uh, mm-hmm. I was very, very critical of it. I thought that was his biggest weakness. I thought that if he couldn't improve on that, then his ceiling was going to be a lot lower than everybody first fourth. Start of the year, he was dunking on guys with his left. He was driving left every opportunity. Just to, I wasn't the only guy saying that, obviously. So I'm assuming, assuming he wanted to prove that that's something he can do. Mm-hmm. His field goal percentage is through the roof at the moment, shooting four to six percent from mid range. Mm. And then I've got it in front of me now. He's shooting. Oh, excuse me, one second. I had it in front of me. Thirty-nine percent from three. Mm-hmm. Corner threes, he's shooting 47%. is almost uh, one every other shot from the corner of three. Mm. His ability to get... What I've been saying is when he jumps, when he rises for that pull-up jumper, he waits until he reaches that apex, and he's basically shooting over all of the guys guarding him at that yes. point because his, height, his vertical's just ridiculous, dude. So he'll jump, and he'll just hang there until he reaches that, that sweet spot, and he's just got that clear sight, clear sight to the basket, and he can just release... And that's something he wasn't doing before, right? He was just he was jumping and firing before he reached the apex of that jump, and that was been that's been a major evolution in the way he shoots the ball. His handles, yeah, hand times tighter. He dribbles. Yeah, yeah, Adam Adam from our our uh, podcast also mentioned that you know sort of what he was wanting to watch out for Jalen Brown was his handle. Did it tighten up? And if you recall during the Philly game, the last Philly game at home, where uh, Tybal, Matisse Tybal came out and was defending Jalen Brown sort of at the top of the key. And he, he, you know, he went through his legs and hesitated and went left on him and dunked it. And that right there is just an indication of everything you're talking about, his improvement of those weaknesses that he showed over the first two or three seasons. Um, and he's just, you know, he's just, I mean, Jalen Brown to me is like the equivalent of a quarterback that just has a beautiful deep ball. It's just... It's, it's, it looks a lot like art and poetry sometimes when he's out there because he's able to play at a pace that, you know, now the music's not off. You know, you can't, you know, you got to be on, you got to be on cue. You got to be, have your timing right. You know, if you're, you know, if you're, you're, you're conducting the orchestra, everything has to be in sync. And now his movements and, and, his, and his change of pace, his stop and go. I mean, Jalen Brown is, is really fun to watch and he's, he's, he's super smooth and, he could be the difference. I mean, anyone could be the X factor. Gordon or Marcus or, or you know, even Enos Cantor and, and, and his production in limited minutes. But, man, it, that, contract, that contract is looking great. And I think he's proof that sometimes, it's the, oftentimes, it's the trades that you don't make that really set your team up well for the future. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, somebody, I saw a tweet the other day saying, Jalen Brown has saved the Celtics roughly 80 million a year. 
mm. by signing that extension before seeing out the rest of this season. Uh, it gave him, and I genuinely believe if he didn't sign that extension, we wouldn't be seeing this level of play because there'd be other factors going on in his outside life with other teams trying to wanting to speak to him, players coveting him, recruiting him. And that's another thing as well that he's really that you don't see this year that you have in previous years is he's not in his own head too much when he's on the court. Yeah, he's playing free. Yeah, he's not before if he made a mistake, you'd see he'd regress into like this shell of himself and start mm-hmm. passing up shots. He'd 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 let the the negatives affect the next play and the play after that. Whereas this year he's kind of it's a shooter's mentality, right? Okay, I'll take the next shot. I, I missed this one, but there's gonna be another shot in a minute. So it's fine. Uh, yeah, imagine, I mean, imagine Jalen Brown on the Hawks or the or the Grizzlies next year. Yo, that'd, that'd be scary be, on the Grizzlies. Yeah, that would be that would be something. Um, and I mean, he was on he was on the Woj podcast, and he sort of talked about how those negotiations went and how at first Danny came at him with a uh, four for eighty five, and he didn't even have an agent. Then he hired an agent, and they worked it out. You know, when the news dropped, you know, you had you know people on Twitter, instant gratification, love to get their jokes off, but now. That contract looks amazing. Um, we're going to wrap it up pretty soon here, Adam. And I guess my last take is there's been some discussion in Slam. I think I retweeted it from Slam is that they want to give Jalen Brown a nickname. Um, and I think he needs one. All the greats need one. I think he's going to be one of the greats. You got any good nicknames for Jalen Brown? <laughs> I asked Jared Weiss this uh, about six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he kept, we was doing a nickname. I was talking to Jared, uh, myself, and a good friend of mine, Brendan. Uh, talking to Jared about this, like, come on, what nicknames have you got within media circles that people don't get to hear, right? Uh, and he's saying, "That's a good one." And he's saying, like, um, okay, so Jalen Brand is just JB. Everybody knows him around the building as JB, but he mm-hmm. wants like a like a Marvel nickname, like uh, the Green Goblin got mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Hulk was another one that got mentioned. He wants something like that, something superhero-y, but a mm-hmm. bit of a villain type. There isn't one that's set at the moment. Uh, I'm sure if you go back six to, well, it's going to be hard to do, but six to seven weeks through Jared's tweets, you'll see a thread of different nicknames that he's yep. thrown at JB. Uh, I don't have one for him. I've, I've just known him as Jalen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's one half of the J's. I mean, it kind of irks me, the whole JB, JT, D-Wade. A-Rod, CP3, like it's so generic. I come from yeah. the school of the Admiral. I come from the, the, the mailman, the, the, the glove, the dream, you know. I, I, that's where yeah. I come from, and I want to take it back to that. Even, even I mean, now I think the, the best nickname going right now might be the Time Lord. Um, my, my daughter's 10 years old, and I said, man, I mean, did you see that, Rob, that, that dunk by Robert Williams? She was like, who? I'm like, Time Lord. She's like, oh, like, even my daughter knows about the Time Lord. Um, I have a nickname for, for Jalen, um, and it, it's way off from your, uh, assertion that he wants to be like superhero, but <laughs> the, I'll probably, the one that I came up with is, is snacks. When I was snacks. playing snacks, <laughs> snacks, when I was playing basketball growing up in Boston, we had BNBL, Boston neighborhood basketball league, which was just a summer league. There was this kid who. His name, his nickname was Snacks. I, I, to this day, I don't know his name, but everyone called him Snacks. And I think Jalen just could be called Snacks because he's all he's in his bag. He's always in his bag, just like some snacks. That's that's my nickname for Jalen. Jalen Snacks Brown. I had some other ones. I had Bagman. 
he's the bag man because he's always he's just always in his bag. Like I just kept thinking he's always Jaylen, got a bag on as well, right? Have you ever seen always got a backpack? He always or... got a backpack, he's always in his bag. So I don't know, bag man, snacks. But he also, I mean, I know he goes by juice sometimes too, because he has those hoodies that say juice. Um, so maybe I I mean this is kind of this has been done, so I don't know how much traction a poll would get, but you got I don't any, know. I would get snacks trending. You got you got any love for the nickname snacks? Yeah, I could get down with snacks. <laughs> snacks Brown. Snacks Brown. He's in his bag. <laughs> um, well, Adam, um, appreciate you hopping on here with me, man. Um, we're on the eve of the trade deadline. Anything could happen between now and tomorrow. Um, don't not only should you listen to uh, our podcast, obviously on section five, but but Adam's doing great things over there on on Celtics blog. You know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, supporting each other's blogs, each other's writings, you know, really, really crossing over because we're all doing this for fun and eventually could turn something big. If you, you know, if you see what Bill Simmons did today um, and sort of how he cashed out, he got it in his bag, too, with uh, with uh, Spotify buying the ringer. Um, but but make sure you guys follow Adam on Twitter. Um, Adam, do you want to just plug your Twitter handle and where people can find you at? Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Taylor NBA, or one word. Uh, catch me over at Celtics Blog. Uh, you, if you want to listen to my podcast, you just go onto any podcast provider, type in Celtics Blog. You'll find me there. You find my writing on. Yeah, I'm basically just over at CelticsBlog.com and on okay. Twitter. They're the only two places you're going to find me at. Yep, Adam, locally respected, internationally known. Joining us on the Section 5 podcast. <laughs> I like that. I like um, that. Joining us on the Section 5 podcast. Um, and again, please, you know, rate, subscribe, review, like, tell a friend, share, comment. Um, Adam, appreciate you joining us, man. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you taking the time to let me jump on. All right, now. You're listening to the Section 5 podcast.